This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Coinbase launches its own Layer 2 blockchain. A court hearing is held in the metaverse, and the coveted NFTs from Three Arrows Capital Collection go on sale. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. I'm joined today by J.D. Cord from Launch Notes. Welcome to the show, J.D. Hi. Thanks, Ash. Lots of interesting news around Ethereum today. Plus, we'll do a deep dive into staking and the Shanghai upgrade. But first, let's take a look at the latest price analysis. The total crypto market cap is down 2.3% today on coin market cap. Bitcoin is closing out the working week in the red. It's trading right now at around $23,400. That's a drop of 3% on a trailing seven-day basis. Ether is making very similar moves. It's down 4% over the past seven days, trading at about $1,600 right now. Uh, one other token we're looking at right now is Optimism, ticker symbol OP. It's one of the best performers today, up 5.5% on this time yesterday. That's probably related to Optimism's collaboration with Coinbase on a new blockchain. Details on all of that in just a moment. And speaking of Coinbase, shares are down some 6% on yesterday's closing price. That's despite another purchase by ARK Invest. The block says Kathy Wood's funds put fund put another $4 million worth of Coinbase stock, uh, $4 million worth of capital to work in Coinbase stock. Okay, viewers, uh, join us in the conversation. Put down your questions in the chat wherever you're watching. We'll ask the best ones on air later in the show. Remember, Real Vision members take priority, but the good news is Real Vision membership for crypto is free. With that said, let's bring in our guest. J.D. Cord is the founder and CEO of LaunchNodes. The company provides software infrastructure to make Ethereum staking more accessible to everyone. Uh, JD, anything you'd add to that description? Um, just that we really care about solo staking ash, and what we try and avoid being is an intermediary. Um, and so our clients stake on their own infrastructure, and we kind of help them do it rather than taking funds and running nodes and staking on our stuff. It's always on our clients' infrastructure. Well, you know, that's obviously a very important point, uh, obviously, with SEC and other regulatory actions here in the United States. We'll talk a lot more about that in just a second, but I want to take a look at our top story today. U.S. crypto exchange has launched a new blockchain. It's called Base, and it's a layer two blockchain on top of Ethereum. Uh, of course, this, of course, is Coinbase we're talking about. It was created in partnership with layer two network Optimism using its op stack tech. Coinbase says that we will reduce fees on Ethereum to just 1% and connect with other blockchains such as Solana and Polygon. The company says the aim is to eventually onboard 1 billion 
people into crypto. Obviously, that's an ambitious goal. Coinbase wants Base to be decentralized, permissionless, and open source. Notably, the company says it has no plans to launch a dedicated token. The chain has been launched as a testnet. Early reports suggest the rollout has been rather rocky. News outlet Coindesk reports Base has experienced network problems. Users have complained on Twitter of transactions not going through. There's also been criticism of updates to the network's terms and conditions. Disclosure, I actually minted my free Base NFT last night. Just wanted to check it out. JD, what are your thoughts on this development? I think um, building, you know, scale and hyperscale software is really, really hard. Um, and so teams that are doing it, I have a lot of sympathy for. Uh, I think Optimism uh, and Coinbase working together and not releasing a token is is really is really good. I think that um, doing that hard engineering work and, and leveraging all of Coinbase's sort of operational experience over the past ten years of making crypto accessible to lots of people and giving this you know very smooth user interface into uh, yeah, a layer two solution um, that allows things to be cheaper and better and faster. You know, only only you could think. I think. Yeah, and just to be clear, uh, the fact that they're not launching the token, the idea here is then the uh, the fees will accrue to the Ethereum network. Yes, um, and actually, the, the exact details of, of 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 those fees and the nature of the rollup is, um, you know, I'd have to say. Uh, I, I don't know that. Let's just sort of announce the details today. But I think it's uh, a, a you know a, a really great thing for optimism to have uh, someone like Coinbase bringing such a heavyweight real world use case to their chain. Talk a little bit about what that heavy wor- that that heavy real world use case might look like and why you think it's compelling. Oh, good one. Um, I think the the heavy world. Uh, use case is that if it's going to be something that Coinbase use and want to promote and push into the hands of lots and lots of people, um, then you you will have to build and work a hyperscale. And as a blockchain, fundamentally, you know, we believe that the health is a function of the number of independent nodes you have and the number of different people operating those nodes. And I think. Um, the, the idea that Coinbase are going to bring that to life, um, uh, you know, and across multiple different endpoints in terms of uh, NFTs and uh, core payments and transactions, I think is, as I said, it's just it, it's bringing some real utility back to um, back to options, which they're going to be very grateful for, I'm sure. Yeah, let's talk about something else that's right in your wheelhouse. We've got some more news flow here on Ethereum. Uh, The other big development here that we're talking about around Ethereum that we want to discuss today is the upcoming Shanghai upgrade. Earlier this week, the Ethereum Foundation announced that the Shanghai upgrade will activate on the Sepolia testnet Tuesday next week, February 28th. Uh, I should say the Shanghai upgrade is also being called Chappella, a combination of the words Shanghai and Capella. That's because it will be changes to the execution layer that part is called shanghai and the consensus layer that part has been dubbed capella jadeep let's start with the basics please explain what's happening to those who are unfamiliar with those terms um i i think uh the 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 execution layer client um is the part that is kind of that we brought from ethereum as a proof of work uh, network and we joined that um, at the merge with the consensus layer um, and they became one 
uh, the consensus layer client. What, what are those two layers do? For, for, I'm sorry, but for people who are less familiar yeah. with the technology, explain what those two layers do. Uh, the idea that you have an execution layer uh, versus uh, the other layer. Uh, explain to that point what exactly those distinctions are and why they're so material in the functioning of the network. Well, I think it's it's about the idea that you've had um, a design that's evolved over time. And what that ends up meaning is, is that the issue of state, the Ethereum virtual machine, yeah, that's being handled and managed by your sort of consensus, sorry, your execution layer client. Um, and then the beacon chain, which was brought to life when Ethereum, you know, two, as it was called, then went live, um, is managing um, other aspects of, of the network. And as they and as they as they came together um, after the merge, um, there is still now a you know a, a separation uh, that has come about. I don't think it's 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 a super beautiful and elegant design construct, but it's 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 what we have, and it's allowed for things like multiple client diversity, um, and it's allowed for the network to work and and carry the weight of of the transactions it does moving from proof of work to proof of stake. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more in detail. Uh, we teased it at the top of the show uh, about what you guys do at LaunchNode. Tell us a little bit uh, about what the real world problem you were looking to solve is and what you're doing right now. We enable solo staking and we provide RPC nodes. And the solo staking sort of has a touch point with the RPC nodes. And that stems from a basic belief that Ethereum and a, and a blockchain is a shared database, right? And there's a new type of work that can be done by running a node and putting some capital to it. Uh, and, you know, that work is updating everyone's copy of the database and validating transactions and securing the network. And for that, you get, you get paid. And divorcing um, yourself from that is, is not, I think, what the Ethereum you know, call team want, and it's not the client team to want. And so what we've always been passionate about is you keep your infrastructure, you keep your money meaningfully. Don't be dependent on our UI. Don't be dependent on uh, on, on any aspect of, of launch nodes. Let us just help you um, touch the network, you know, raw and, raw and, raw and bare. Um, and so enabling clients to build their own staking architectures um, on their own infrastructure, uh, that they own with all the choices um, that come with that in terms of, you know, client software, in terms of beacon and validator node ratios, in terms of which execution layer client you take. Um, so, so, so it's, just, it's, just, to, yeah. just to bring this down, because I know we have a lot of folks in our audience who are very technical, but also many who aren't. Walk us through what the use case is like uh, for one of uh, for one of these uh, products that you're discussing here, just to give people a sense of what that story looks like, what the trajectory is, and where it fits in in the ecosystem. So, when you have 32 Ethereum or multiple um, of, of 32 Ethereum, you have a choice. Now, you could go to a liquid staking provider. Right. You could go to a uh, exchange. Um, right. Or you could go to a staking as a service provider. And what they will do in different contexts is they will give you the financial outcome of staking. Uh, and actually, I'd like to make a, a, a distinction here because liquid staking uh, providers 
like Lido, is super important because it allows people with small amounts of ETH to stake. And what we do is we work really with people, and it's kind of sad to say it, but with, with, with 32 or multiples of 32 ETH, so bigger chunks of capital. But right. all that section of, of staker, putting your money into an exchange or putting it into staking as a service provider means that you're obfuscated away from all these you know, mucky technical details of beacon nodes and validator nodes and execution layer clients and consensus layer clients. And you just get a financial outcome at the end of it. And there's right. a good user experience. And there's this phrase, not your keys, not your ETH, which is sort of a bit meaningless, but, um, you know, you stake through user interface, through a website to a company, um, and or an exchange. And I think what we say is, well, actually, you know, the idea you're too big to fail or, or trust us isn't really a sentence we're very comfortable with. So let's assume I'm dead, my company doesn't exist anymore, but you've staked using a solo staking approach that we give you. You've got a transparent technology stack, so you know what the open source client software you're using is. You own all the physical infrastructure, and we create no user interface or intermediary experience for you to access your nodes. So, um, so just to, just think, to break this down for folks, uh, so you're making this distinction uh, between staking as a service, which is a service, a financial service that's being provided, and obviously we should point out uh, one that seems to be very much under fire by SEC here in the United States, uh, this idea uh, that it appears to be, uh, in the view of Chair Gensler at least, uh, to be a financial service, to be a security, uh, according to recent statements sure. by SEC. Uh, and on the other hand, you're talking about building essentially a software stack uh, that others can then use to abstract away uh, some of those challenges. And, and by the way, just for reference for folks, uh, ETH trading right now at about 1600 bucks uh, times 32, it's about 50 grand uh, that you need to begin your own staking operation. Yeah, that's right. Um, yes, the distinction is, 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 is super significant because what, what we're sort of accepting is, is that it's not simply a financial outcome that you're, that you're getting and you know, give me your ETH and then I'll go get you a magic outcome through uh, some, you know, whatever voodoo. It's a case of, it, it's almost operational income. We we make it operational income. You run the nodes, you do this work, and when there are upgrades, you can upgrade them yourself or we can do it for you. But it's your node um, and, 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 and and we support you technically to, to, to become a native staker. And why I think that's really important is, is two things. One... It's certainly the goal and what good looks like for the Ethereum, you know, client teams and and core dev teams. They they did not want um, people to hand over their money to intermediaries. Oh, and then we'll do the staking for you and give you some back to be you know to be the majority way that, it, that the staking has become. And that that is what's what's happened by um, by accident with the best of intentions. But I think post Shanghai and what we're seeing in the Shanghai upgrade is this clear reward for those who are solo staking in the form of the moment that upgrade goes live, you're able to withdraw your funds in whatever context that is is laid out by, you know, by, by, by the core dev team. Um, what by the way, the, could, is, quick, a quick distinction sorry, yeah. here uh, between, and if we could do it in a non-technical way, uh, the distinction between yeah. running nodes and RPC nodes for solo staking, RPC, of course, is remote yeah. procedure call. Uh, what's the very yeah. high 50,000 foot level view of the distinction for that for people who don't have technical backgrounds? It means you've got a door that you're opening directly onto the blockchain and just scooping your data out yourself. 
rather than having it sent to you in the post through APIs or using um, endpoints. And so when essentially you're, when thinner you're... in terms of the number of abstraction layers uh, between the blockchain. Exactly. Uh, one is API, exactly. one is direct access to the chain. Exactly, exactly. And when you're building decentralized apps, you need um, those those RPC nodes um, to allow you to to do useful stuff in your app, basically. Yeah. Would right, so... technical. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's let's talk a little bit about who some of your clients uh, might be. I know you probably don't want to disclose their actual names, but talk a little bit about uh, who those folks are. Uh, and when they come to you, uh, what do they ask you? What are their challenges? What problems are they looking to solve? They are a mix of crypto businesses, startups who are sort of really technical and know what they're doing and want to build and, and use staking as an engine. Um, there are uh, businesses that, want to take across not just Ethereum, but multiple chains, and they want to do it using this solo staking paradigm. So, you know, they want to run their own nodes for Polygon, Kusama, um, Avalanche and others. And so they don't want to delegate their funds. They want to run those nodes and then offer delegation themselves to others. And so we help them help them do that and enable that very much in the, in the, in the, in the way of a technology services provider, right? You know, there's no... Um, we don't take any commission off anyone. We send you a license and subscription for your software and professional services. So it's just a pretty simple model. Um, you have regulated businesses um, working uh, in, 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 in the US um, and, and financial institutions who are learning. Everyone is learning in the space. And the solo staking paradigm really brings that to heart. It's not about saying, I just want the financial outcome. Um, it's about saying, well, where's this financial outcome coming from? How's it going to evolve in time? What are the other things Ethereum's going to, to do and become? And our premise is that Ethereum's going to become a general purpose technology, much the same way the internet was, and it's kind of going to change everything. So the idea- hey, what, is that, what does that mean? To, Give us a sense of what your view of the world uh, one, three, five years in the future looks like uh, in terms of the changes that Ethereum is driving. It's a hard question um, because, again, it's like if you tried to say in 1997, what's the internet going to look like and you're going to be able to do in, in 2001, you might say, okay, well, yeah, I'll, I'll buy a book online, but I'm not going to buy a house on the, online. Right. I'm not going to you know, uh, do all the things we now do online. And in 2001, when broadband just about made it out, if you were saying, yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be ordering a cab online, on a mobile right. phone that has the entire depth of right. human knowledge available to me um, in a, a three-inch devolve, five-inch device. But th these are sort of paradigms you can't really, I think, predict or, de or describe. But I think the, the basic sim simple truth is this, that when to uh, peak when we all realized that the fact that you and I might spend time on a social media platform or on an app 
and the data from that time spent is and the value of it is completely centralized into a handful of firms. They take all, all the value from that. If through a shared database, we can all have access to that, then there's a huge wealth distribution uh, and, and, and creation opportunity there. And I think that what yeah. Ethereum is, is going to kind of do, it's going to kind of say things like, well, could you imagine if you had, um, and, and this also is to Bitcoin's favor as well. If you had the complete history of every transaction ever, ever conducted in the US dollar, like that would be pretty useful, right? It would be, a, you know, a multiple number of things that we could, we could kind of do with that. And at, at its simplest level, it, there's that, and then you layer on top of that, the idea of smart contracts, then you, um, you know, layer on top of that, the idea of non-fungible value, um, through tokens. Uh, and I think that the idea of a house, for example, being, um, having three component representations of it through uh, NFTs, it's market value, uh, the mortgage debt and its potential rental yield. Um, well, that opens a whole new level, um, an opportunity for individuals to securitize their assets. And I think also the, the idea of platforms that enable uh, people to invest in individuals where there are young people, where there are workers set against a place where there is capital um, and without intermediaries, but, you know, a kind of uh, a, a democratization of that investment opportunity with much smaller amounts into much more remote places. I mentioned to you before I start, I'm, I'm sitting here in Rwanda, the need for that, the need for the ability um, for individuals um, across East Africa um, to be connected with, with markets and uh, not be siloed away through archaic SWIFT and banking uh, institutions uh, is huge. Jadeep, I think that is so very well said. It's it's funny, actually, whenever uh, I give the same generic disclaimer that you do and use the exact same example uh, when people ask me about the future of this when I and talking about Uber, the idea that you're going to carry this little device in your pocket that's about this big, uh, that you're going to be able to use GPS and uh, mobile payment networks and, uh, and uh, wireless uh, communication radios to basically hail a cab anywhere in the country. Uh, it, it's yeah. so right in terms of you know, the inability to predict the exact trajectory. And then uh, you also were able to answer beyond that what the broad scope looks like in terms of the framework for things that we might be seeing and to articulate uh, this case uh, for the direction things are headed uh, more broadly. I think that's just so incredibly well said. Uh, let me ask you this, what applications uh, are you most interested in? Uh, are you most optimistic about uh, as you look ahead over the nearer term? Like where do you think we are uh, in three years? What might we be doing that we're not able to do today in terms of end user use cases or stories? So one thing that we're working on here in Rwanda with the government of Rwanda, um, UNICEF and the Ethereum Foundation, um, is using staking returns to pay for internet connectivity in schools. Mm. Um, the idea of a long-term cost that needs to be financed um, with, with money that people find difficult to commit to and with interest rates where they've been in the past was difficult to generate by putting money into a bank, um, you know, is, 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 is something we're challenging with the idea of saying, well, actually you could donate your staking returns, not the principal, um, to fund internet connectivity over three years. Mm. You will see how those ISPs perform with providing that connectivity. And after three years, you can continue to, you know, stake and support the schools, um, or you can do something else. And I think mm. that 
within that model, there's a real obligation on the person receiving the staking money to provide data-rich outcomes. Because if, if, if there's lots of data, then it doesn't matter necessarily if you fail, because there's no failure if there's, if there's you know, a lot of data around what that failure looked like. Um, and I think that using staking returns to support reforestation, um, to support uh, forms of universal basic income. Um, now, would these be, would know, these be services that the government uh, would basically be staking, uh, or would this be the, like, in other words, would the government be staking a pool of capital to do this, or would this be users, individual users and corporations who would then donate the proceeds from staking to these causes? I think it could be both, I, but I think that the and, and I think that there's a really interesting use case in terms of you know going into um, blue skies or, or you know taking mushrooms. Is is that could it be that uh, a government's sovereign credibility is a measure of you know how much uh, Ethereum it has staked and how much you know Bitcoin it holds? Mm. I, I don't know, but it's it's possible as as we you know become very aware through the financial crisis and, and the five years afterwards that money has become very politicized and we go into a world that looks more and more political. Yeah. The idea of non-political money feels, you know, feels like progress. Well, we're probably at least a couple of right. years away from uh, world, uh, from from nation states and uh, global central banks uh, deciding to give up the sovereignty of the money supply. Uh, but it does pose that sort sure. of interesting uh, hypothetical about the direction that we might be going uh, broadly over a very long time horizon as we move toward more decentralization and I think frankly just more rules-based immutable operations uh, that the types of technologies sure. like blockchains provide uh, the opportunities for. By the way, you also made another incredibly important point, uh, which is the role that blockchains can potentially serve in emerging markets. I think uh, very often uh, folks here that I talk to in the United States, those who are most skeptical, uh, tend to be the guys and gals uh, who have uh, great degrees of wealth, uh, who have uh, who have bankers who uh, call them up and uh, make sure that they're happy. The reality is most uh, people in the world uh, do not have those opportunities. There are obviously tremendous numbers of unbanked uh, persons throughout the world and also uh, entire swaths of the developing world where there simply isn't the infrastructure uh, for banking, in many cases for rule of law, uh, to adjudicate different claims. This really has great potential. Someone who's based uh, in Rwanda, tell us uh, what you see there and some of the use cases that you see uh, blockchains and specifically Ethereum having the potential to help solve. Well, actually, I think um, Rwanda and, and East Africa already has amazing widespread adoption of low tech that allows mobile money transfers right. and your mobile phone to be a source of um of uh, 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 banking functionality for you. By the way, by the um, way, this is fascinating to me because this has been a story uh, from developing Asia and Africa that we've heard time and time again, this idea that there's this almost this leapfrogging effect uh, with low-tech solutions where essentially uh, you have uh, decades of infrastructure uh, that uh, you know to, uh, didn't exist. Exactly. Uh, and then you have right. this yeah. massive leapfrog with wireless technology when you have people uh, doing businesses in agriculture, uh, doing business uh, in you know, shops and et cetera. Uh, through their mobile phones, and you, you have this tremendous empowerment of individuals. Incredibly exciting story. No, it, it really is. And I think that the extension of that mobile money into um, into crypto-based solutions, yeah. I think, is, 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 is inevitable. But the one thing I would say, and the reason why we think impact staking is so important, is uh, there are people that I you know commend them if you want to put you know wallet into the hands of farmers. I just want to get them cash 
so that they can get seed. And my point is, is that impact staking is is about taking this pipe that is, um, you know, a, a money pipe, and and it, you know, takes a recurring return from a fixed pool of capital and applying it to these problems that have a challenge of that long-term, fu- you know, uh, funding. And no one, no one, I mean, some people do, but, but you know, climate change is, is a real problem. Inequality is a real problem. The challenge is not, um, and a need for green infrastructure is a real problem. No one is necessarily disputing that. The question is, where is the money coming from? And then tying yeah. that story back is the next set of apps in the form of Uber and Gmail, if they're built on Ethereum, then that means that the data around those apps and the wealth from that can be shared by everyone. Um, and as the network grows, the wealth opportunity from staking grows um, because that's what what apps now are. They 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 kind of give back some of the wealth through the data through right. the blockchain. This becomes a very virtuous circle. Yeah, and it is really a compelling view of a decentralized future. It's very different, obviously, from the world that we live in today, uh, and probably uh, will take us some time to get there if, in fact, that path doesn't fold. But just a very compelling worldview that you present. Hey, everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, by the way, I want you to touch on a few more stories. And look, here's one right out of the bat uh, that uh, that sort of uh, talks about the challenges that I, that I mentioned. The IMF, uh, obviously the International Monetary Fund, has published a nine-point plan for crypto regulation. Al Jazeera reports the organization is urging members not not to make Bitcoin legal tender. Uh, On the other hand, the IMF says it's, quote, untenable for governments not to respond to challenges presented by digital currency. Uh, So, you know, I guess whether or not this is a case of of nation states and supranational organizations uh, being pulled into a decentralized future, kicking and screaming, uh, but there does seem to at least be the acknowledgement on behalf of the IMF that not responding is untenable. I think that's an interesting uh, perspective. By the way, I just want to touch on a couple of other stories here. Binance has admitted uh, it made an error when determining what type of access to funds around 500 users in Australia should have. It liquidated their positions after realizing they were classified as wholesale investors. Obviously, this is a story that's going to be very interesting to our sizable audience in Australia. Decrypt says that under Australian law, this type of account can access derivatives because the investors running them have more experience and bigger funds. Decrypt says Australian regulators will carry out a review of this incident. Moving on to the world of NFTs, ever coveted any number of the digital artworks in possession of Three Arrows Capital, the bankrupt crypto hedge fund. Well, now you might be able to have another chance. Teneo, the liquidators for 3AC, are putting dozens of NFTs that belong to 3AC on auction. Coindesk says the collection is worth an estimated $22 million. However, the NFTs on sale don't include the highly coveted Starry Night portfolio. And finally, 
Decrypt reports that Colombia has become one of the first countries to hold court hearings in the metaverse. It took place in Horizon Workrooms, which was created by Facebook parent company Meta. Lawyers appeared as animated avatars. The meeting was live streamed on YouTube. Uh, I'll leave it to our audience to insert the lawyer joke of their choosing there. Uh, speaking of NFTs, we want to show our viewers a clip from the latest Ral Pals Adventures in finance. Uh, our co-founder, Ral, spoke with Dan Sickles, an award-winning independent filmmaker. You'll be able to access it tomorrow on realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. Here's a quick clip from it talking about the power of NFT communities. Let's take a look. Why does this exist? And why is it so sticky? You know, but I think that, again, there, there are so many reasons. It's like, Board Ape Yacht Club is an example that that I will take because you know I I have an ape I, I Yuga has done miraculous things uh, sort of like bridging like this like virtual and physical world and I've I've been I went to the first Ape Fest in New York City it was on Halloween they rented like a, a sort of like ferry boat and I remember I brought my wife because I was like you know I'm, I'm making this film we're here on Halloween together but you know like whatever the compromise is like we're gonna go and do this thing and I'll I'll film with my phone and whatever and I was really taken with um how quickly the this sort of recognition and sort of mutual appreciation and respect happens in in these groups that are sort of flying these um you know sort of flags these tribal internet virtual flags on the internet but in a way it doesn't make sense but then in another it totally does because humans are tribal anyway right we'll find any reason to coalesce around a single theme and, and multiple themes and we've always done it Absolutely. And I think that like within that, there's so many, there's, there's a bunch of nuance, right? I mean, like you have the effects of COVID, which like, I think people are so hungry to connect with people outside of their immediate sphere. Like people have been locked in their home, their neighborhood, their, you know, immediate vicinity, their country. Right. So I think now like you, you sort of have this crossover that's really happening between like these internet communities that have been like, oh, I like, I like this JPEG, can we trade for this JPEG and whatever, that are now also being able to sort of enact themselves and manifest in the real. So it's supercharged in that way because everyone's like, oh, now we get to actually meet. And there's something so human in that. Sounds like an incredibly intriguing conversation. By the way, I should say it's actually available right now today at realvision.com forward slash crypto. Uh, JD, let's call back to something we were talking about earlier. Uh, obviously, uh, some skepticism mixed with, I guess, uh, some uh, undeniable embrace of reality over at the IMF. Uh, these are precisely the kind of issues that I was alluding to in terms of the challenges uh, for this technology. Uh, I know that you're more on the technical side, not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer either. Uh, but when you think about uh, the challenges on the legal, regulatory, and legislative side of this uh, equation, uh, how do you think about it and how it might influence the time frame and the adoption curve of these technologies? I, I think it, it's it's really hard to answer that without sort of having to let go of um, a top-down approach. I think the popularity of crypto with citizens and youth and young people all over the world um, is going to be what ultimately drives change to multilaterals, doors like the IMF. Uh, as you said before, I, I don't think they're going to to rush to embrace this and. Also, you know, I think the IMF and, and many, um, you know, 
large financial institutions, which you know I've sort of worked with and uh, had exposure to in the past, um, they want a grand unified theory of everything in terms of this is how it works and this is what it's going to be. And then, you know, here's, here's the target operating model um, that we have now, and here are the 10 steps to get to the end of the change program. And then we can all have a, have a celebratory party and, 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 and say the job's done. And that doesn't really exist. We, we are inherently building, um, as they might derogatorily say, making it up as we get along. Um, but if everything was perfect right now and, um, you know, citizens feel, you know, fantastically, um, enabled and empowered to, um, access financial markets and, and build wealth. And there's no real issue of inequality, um, um, centralization of power and wealth, then I don't think, you know, crypto would have a chance, but I, I don't think that's quite accurate, is it? You make such an intriguing point here uh, in terms of the way that folks on the tech side think versus uh, folks at, for example, multinational organizations uh, and governments. There tends to be a desire to see first principles stated first uh, in the uh, in the governance spectrum, uh, whereas most tech folks kind of build things from the ground up. It's uh, it's almost uh, this cross between the the Platonic and the Aristotelian in terms of the way people think, and that really is a sure. quite material challenge in terms of thinking through how these uh, sort of very disparate mindsets uh, and different centers of power will integrate uh, their philosophies in terms of this development effort. No, and I think people like Niall Ferguson frame it really well in his book, The Square and the Tower, where he talks right. and tries to reframe human history as being a function of you know, towers and hierarchies that get swept away by networks um, and and what what are the characteristics of those of those networks and those networks have you know have been the techies from the days of Archimedes through to Da Vinci through to 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 now and and uh, the Gates and Zuckerbergs of this world um, and the Vitaliks, right and, and Satoshi's. So I think yes, I think that is a, that is an inherent challenge, but it also ends up being a kind of boring. You meet in the middle somewhere, right? Well, if I'd been uh, a bit more that... clever, I would have come up with a Niall Ferguson uh, metaphor myself, but that's so spot on. Uh, listen, we've got a lot of questions who are streaming in uh, to us from our viewers and listeners for you. I just wanted to jump in and ask you a few of these because there's some really good ones here. The first one comes to us sure. from Ralph H. on the Real Vision website. Uh, and the question to you is, what other crypto software infrastructure companies does JD find interesting? Great question. What software infrastructure companies do I find interesting? Um, I think there are um, a lot of different people doing interesting things in terms of taking apart the public cloud domination of infrastructure. And actually, what what what's really important about um, about, about that and why that's so important, uh, and and companies, you know, from. Uh, OVH to 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 Volta are, are doing a great thing, trying to to you know break down that that that, that monopoly that the big cloud providers have. But the challenge is is that it's not simply the infrastructure and the team that is so powerful for public cloud. It's the concepts around it, like serverless, like Kubernetes, um, like cloud formation templates, and infrastructure as 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 software, and so. 
Um, companies working in this space, I think, are, are are really interesting. And I think that Ethereum has an opportunity to incentivize people providing infrastructure to, uh, you know, as a kind of decentralized decloud almost, um, to allow people to earn incentives and rewards for providing that infrastructure. Now, I don't think Kubernetes is going to go away anytime soon. I think it's a massively powerful open source tool. But, you know, whether it's containerization or Lambda functions or any of the other things that, you know, uh, that, that are out there that public cloud do, um, they are super addictive for your development teams. And yeah. uh, I read an article saying, is public cloud um, a form of crack cocaine? Uh, and the answer is yes, because once you get these tools, you just want to build fast. You just want to build fast. And and and, and that's the mantra of our teams. But yes. at a business level and at a structural level, you're letting go of so much operational knowledge and insight that you can't re-engineer yourself off these cloud platforms, not right. because of the tiers and the servers, but because of all this layering um, of of technical capabilities in the development paradigm. That By the way, have, not just they, not just inside, but also control, and it is an important uh, point. And maybe we'll see a time in the future where uh, those public cloud infrastructures uh, that are controlled by a handful of companies in the valley become more distributed and more decentralized, uh, giving power and data and insight back to the user. I wanted to go to one other question here from Ralph H on the Revision website, because it really is very interesting. And I'm curious about the answer to this myself. Uh, what is the crypto landscape in Rwanda and East Africa? Which countries are in the lead on the continent for crypto adoption? Boy, great question. I think they're everyone's sort of finding their way. Um, I think that the bigger the bigger market, bigger economies in the region are um, are, are Kenya, um, and 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 ideas are emerging, uh, and businesses and and works being done. I think also, um, you know, I I know of uh, exchanges in Cameroon um, that have have been uh, set up and work and integrate into the mobile money systems. Um, so I think there's 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 a lot happening, and where there are large young populations, the interest of crypto is 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 always strong, and and that, and that's and that's great to see um, in Kenya here in, um, in 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 Rwanda and and and. and also, uh, you gather. Mm. Here's a question uh, from YouTube from Bandit8899. Uh, this is an interesting one. All major dev networks are trying to scale Ethereum with sidechains and layer twos. What is the point of other layer ones if one day Ethereum can handle everything fast and cheap? Uh, obviously, it sounds like uh, Bandit8899 uh, uh, likes Ethereum a great deal, but it is a fair question. Uh, with the market share that Ethereum seems to be grabbing right now, uh, do you see a role for other layer ones, uh, or do you focus almost exclusively in the Ethereum space? I see... Um opportunity and scope for anyone who wants to work really hard and make useful software and put it into production and decentralize it. So I don't want to be disparage um, layer one networks. But what I will say is this, those too many of them haven't done the hard work. They haven't provided the tooling. They haven't um, done the things that you need when you build a scale and hyperscale. And therefore it's been impossible to use them and they haven't produced the documentation and been rigorous enough with all mm. the software, you know, good practices that we know about, um, that, that allows people to use it. And I think, um, 
I think Ethereum will be a general purpose technology. Yeah, I do. And I think um, yeah. then the, the other layer one solutions, um, nothing stays static forever. There will right. be good engineers and there'll be talent and there'll be solutions to ideas and use cases that mean, you know, we're all, we're all building this space and anyone who is doing the hard work of building, uh, I support. So I, I, I'm reluctant to say, uh, you know, that there's no point, um, but I definitely understand his point or, or her point. Yeah. And of course it's, it's also just very early, right? So when you see the Solanas, yeah. of the, world, the Cardanos of the world, uh, obviously those uh, have large teams that are moving forward with doing some interesting development work. Here's a great final question. This comes to us from Twinson ETH on YouTube. Do governments actually have power to alter or regulate blockchains or do they just control entities that use blockchains? That's an interesting philosophical question. I don't know. I mean, I am operationally, I would say that they definitely get to control the on-ramps um, for, for the financial piece into cryptocurrency. Um, I think the idea that if there was no ability for, um, you know, you to turn Ethereum or Bitcoin into into dollars or yen or, or sterling or euros, it would be quite tricky. And I think also creating a, a fight with um, regulators in my head isn't isn't helpful. People do need protection. There have been so many scams and bad actors in our space that the idea that we need to stay unregulated and you know anyone should be able to do anything, well, I, I don't think that's necessarily particularly grown up and um, serious. But um, do I think that there are some super existential challenges to the idea of non-political decentralized money as well as data? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and, and, and I think that for me, the other bit about um, the blockchain piece is, is that that's what we are talking about. We're talking about a shared database for which to incentivize good sharing, a currency needs to emerge, not the other way around. Yeah, a really great conversation, JD, to close out the week. Uh, philosophical and practical, uh, technical and legal. I just We covered all the bases here. A terrific one. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our audience with for this conversation. Solo staking is really important, um, and I think that the for, for all blockchains, not not just for Ethereum, um, and I think that uh, participating for those lucky enough to have thirty two ETH or businesses, crucially, who are looking to to, to stake ETH, um, Ethereum needs you. It needs you to own your infrastructure. It needs you to be engaged and understand how the network's changing and make cho choices in that. Um, it, in that space, um, it's not static. It's not simply a financial outcome, um, and and you know, come be part of it, and and we'll help you. I think might be a might be a takeaway. Uh, Ginny, fantastic conversation. As I said, hope you'll come back and join us again. For sure. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thanks for joining us. For those of you watching on YouTube, like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. That way you will always be up to date with the latest crypto news and analysis. If you're not on a Real Vision subscriber yet, don't forget it's free. Head to realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's it for today. We'll be back the same time Monday. We have more sterile guests, stellar guests coming on the show next week, including Christine Kim from Galaxy, Mike Belshi from BitGo, and Nick Carter. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Have a great weekend, everybody. Ooh.